If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. With me today is Paul Spiru, Managing Director at Ape Creative. And we're going to be talking about all things challenger brand thinking. So I think the title I'm going to go for is What is Challenger Brand Thinking? And that comes from my personal curiosity because I've never heard that phrase before. And when I was talking to Paul about this episode and what he can bring to our listeners today, this terminology came up and I've explored a similar topic with one of my colleagues, Rachel Pearson, on the podcast maybe 10, 15 episodes ago when we were talking about brand affinity marketing, which I assume is going to be similar to challenger brand thinking. But I'm keen to explore whether I'm correct in that assumption and also to understand more about what challenger brand thinking is. So welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks. No problem. And would you mind just taking a moment to introduce yourself and Ape Creative to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Ape is a creative agency that essentially does three things. We we create brands, we develop existing brands, and we help activate either of those eventualities. Mostly our history and expertise is in uh, food and beverage or in the food and beverage sector. And um, But over the last couple of years, we've started to work a little bit more with professional service firms who particularly are in competitive markets where brand differentiation is hard to come by. All of the work we do is essentially underpinned by this idea of challenger brands and challenger brand thinking, because we think that creates better brands and better businesses that can have more impact on the world that they inhabit, uh, but they can also have more fulfilled and engaged people and teams, and they can potentially grow faster too. So that begs the question, as I posed at the beginning there, so what, what is challenger brand thinking? How would, you deter, how would you define what it is, and where does that terminology come from? Okay, so it's a, the, the term challenger was originally coined by a chap called Adam Morgan in a, in a book that he wrote back in 2009 called Eating the Big Fish. And he, he did a study on successful startups and how they'd grown fast and gone from niche players to becoming number ones or really strong number twos. And in that analysis, he, he unearthed a sort of a series of common traits. And then those traits then became an approach and shaped an approach that others could follow. It's not quite a blueprint, but if you understand and commit to the thinking, it can be something that's successfully applied to all kinds of different situations around 
branding and marketing. And that's probably a good point to clarify some of the labels that get thrown around because there's lots of terminology in this area. Um, you know, people talk about challenges, people talk about disruptors, people talk about brand purpose, and they're all terms that get used to describe businesses that are taking different approaches to those that we traditionally expect. But in actual fact, this approach, and I think this thinking is becoming increasingly common. I suspect it will become the norm. So just to sort of unpack those those three things a little bit. So challenger typically refers to businesses with a strong brand belief. So they, they use that belief to guide everything that they do. And the brands are built or developed and activated around that deeply held belief, as opposed to the conventional approach, which would be to lead on messages about product or service features and benefits. You know, that's the conventional way of, of marketing and selling. But the challengers think that if you lead on a belief and push to create some fame around it, you know, businesses have the opportunity to change the competitive narrative and they can occupy territory that their competitors can't easily move into. So you have some ownable space and, and in competitive markets, you know, that's, that's, that's powerful stuff. That's the gold dust. So just to give that some context, it's a couple of, you know, I, I pick out a couple of powerful and, and current examples. So one is a, a, a confectionery brand, brand called Tony's Chocolate Only, and the other is a toilet brand called Who Gives a Crap? Um, and both have uh, recently, in the last few years, have become super successful. So Tony's, they make really lovely chocolate bars, brilliant flavors, but with a single-minded focus to make all chocolate 100% slave-free. In one fell swoop, they tell us that there's a modern-day slave trade in one of our favorite treats. I mean, he knew that was even a thing. They also tell us that they're crazy about chocolate and serious about people. And the brand really em emphasizes the unevenness in the chocolate industry. And they do that in a number of ways around the brand. But the, the unevenness is in, is, you know, from manufacture through the supply chain and into retail and where the bulk of the money goes. And, you know, it's, it's no, no great surprise to hear that, you know, a very, very small proportion of that goes to, to the farmers. So Tony's having a, have a belief and an agenda that that's something that needs addressing. Who gives a crap? Sell toilet paper that helps provide clean toilets for people who need them. Now they, they donate 50% of their profits to help build toilets because they believe that access to a safe, dignified loo is a basic human right. Uh, and of course it is, but we just take those things for granted um, and, and, and think that that's a given anywhere in the world. And of course it, it's not. And in the last year, they've grown so fast that that approach has enabled them to donate three, over £3.2 million to that particular cause. But they're not, you know, they're, they're not about philanthropy or benevolence in their communication. Of course they are in what they do. But their, their marketing and their brand is delivered with irreverence and a smile and, and actually a nice design around the, the, the Lou Roll wrapper that means that you'll happily leave it on the shelf in the bathroom for people to see in a way that you wouldn't leave a, a, you know, a roll of Andrex or one of the others because it's got the nasty sort of plastic film around it. But you know, this, a challenger isn't always about uh, philanthropy or giving. And, and there's, a, there's some other interesting examples, one of which um, people might have come across is Lemonade. You know, they're, an, in, they're a, an insurance business and their model is based on transparency. And they talk about, they're very clear about all the money they get in, all the money that goes out, what their share is it, and what their share of it is and what they do with what's left over. And it's built on the principle that they say that, 
we as consumers believe that it's okay to defraud our insurers a little bit. And, you know, I have some empathy with that and some understanding of that. You know, whoever's made an insurance claim and, you know, who hasn't made an insurance claim and thought, well, yeah, I'll just stick that bill on it as well and, and, mm-hmm. and see if I can get away with, with, with something else. It's something that people do quite commonly, I think. But Lemonade have gone to the market and said, everybody thinks that's okay because everybody thinks they're getting overcharged by the insurers. You feel like you're being screwed by your insurers, so you'll kind of, you know, squeeze them back a little bit. So they get rid of all of that with a, with a sense of transparency. Lime is a, another insurance business, but this time in, in healthcare. And they're, they're doing a similar approach, but theirs is, is more purpose-driven. They, they talk about democratizing healthcare and making af- affordable healthcare available for the many, not the few. Because private medical insurance and healthcare insurance is invariably expensive. But what Lime are doing is deconstructing those policies into their constituent parts so that you can buy the bits that you need for seven, eight, ten pounds a, a, a chunk, as it were. And so that, you know, that's an example of, of challenges that, you know, they set out a belief and they build their brand around that belief. Disruptor was one of the other terms I mentioned earlier on. And, and, and that typically refers to those businesses that come into a market with a new technology that potentially changes the game. So if you think about what Uber did for, for getting around and what they call ride sharing, you know, they use technology in our hands and in our phones to be able to access that level of transport and transparency very, very easily. You know, Airbnb did a similar thing for holidays. Monzo and Starling did a similar thing for banking. It's all about using technology to change the way that we connect and communicate with those particular brands and services. And they've all used that tech in a way that the incumbents or the market leaders, they could never have dreamed of because, they, you know, they've built these sort of monolithic businesses and environments and they never needed to change anything. But now they're all chasing hard to catch up because that disruptor technology and approach has really captured our attention as, as consumers and shoppers and buyers. And so it's become the new norm. The difference is that the previous market leaders, the reason they've succeeded is, is that they, by being a market leader, they build up a gravitational force and they kind of just drag everybody along with them. So they're, they're not about to fall um, drastically or fail, but they are having to change fast to maintain their relevance for the next 20 odd years. But what the disruptors show us is that in any given market, there's always room to take on the market leader. And the last of those three points is about purpose. And purpose tends to refer to, refer to businesses that are helping tackle a societal or a global issue. And there's often a much clearer overt statement of intent in that area. And it's kind of simply put by Colin Mayer um, in his book, Prosperity, when he says that businesses need to find profitable solutions to the problems of the people and the planet, not to profit from those problems. And I think that really captures it really, really neatly. There's often been this this tension between business and purpose. But I think the way that Colin Mayer frames it is you need to find a profitable solution to a problem. And then that way, there is you find comfortable territory between purpose and profit. It's okay to have a business that's underpinned by profit, but, sorry, by purpose, and make a profit at the same time. That's a perfectly um, acceptable ambition. Mm. So 
as we talked about already, you know, challenges often have an element of purpose about them. You know, Tony's and who gives a crap are good examples, but also businesses like Unilever, you know, a huge brand owning business, they place a lot of emphasis on this too. And, and I even noticed Colgate, you know, what probably the world's biggest, to- biggest toothpaste brand promoting their purpose agenda around improving oral healthcare globally. And that was just on some, um, some of those big cardboard units in, in Sainsbury's recently. But I think the important point is that when businesses that have a global reach take on an ambition that can have a huge impact, it doesn't matter what the terminology around it is. That's got to be a good thing. So regardless of the term used, more businesses that are totally committed to something more than profits or returning shareholder value it has got to be positive for all of us. Um, and the last thing I'd say is that with each of those three, any of those three terms, whether it's challenger, whether it's disruptor, whether it's about purpose, they're often retrospectively applied by watchers or commentators um, as nouns, and they're used to label a business. But actually, the reality is a whole lot of work and thinking that, that gets done under the surface to enable that situation to manifest itself. So uh, we like to think of those labels really as, as verbs. You know, there, it's a way of describing an approach that helps establish the thinking and the brand belief so that we can embed it into the business and to activate it and help build fame around it. There's so many interesting points from what you shared there. So thanks for going through that so thoroughly. Some thoughts that come to mind immediately for me. I'm sure our listeners are going to get sick of this on the podcast because I've referenced this a few times. But maybe at this point, maybe 15, 20 episodes ago, I recorded a podcast with a a UK-based company called Imagine. And they are a network of Generation Z consultants. And the point one of the points that came up in that podcast was that generation Z, generation Z, they're looking for, they're looking for these deeply held beliefs to make them feel part of a brand. And really they look for that. They need that in order to become brand advocates. And so it's important for the generation, the generation that's coming up. So that stands out to me. And the second thing, you know, we, in marketing, we're all familiar with the phrases USPs, and that's been our starting point when trying when looking at product differentiation or service differentiation for a long time. But what you're talking about is really no longer a unique selling point. It's more a uniquely held belief that can help differentiate you and brings more to the table for your brand. Does that sound fair as a summary of that last point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, go back to the, the point about about Gen Z and and mm. the sort of the um, the affinity with authenticity. I think we as consumers, our, our perspectives have evolved, and the the speed with which we can communicate with one another means that we can sniff out the disingenuous and. Mm the you know the bs if i can put it that way um really really quickly and i think we've we've really rallied against the idea of being sold to in that conventional way so we want to align with brands that that share the same belief that stand for the same principles that we do you know and it doesn't have to be always have to be deep and meaningful it might be it might be about um you know, local sourcing or employing local people or the, the crafted technique 
with the way that um, you know the, the, the goods or the, or the service is, is delivered. But it has to be something more than um, the the slightly um, inauthentic uh, features and benefits that that just become. I think, as you said, it, um, uh, indistinct, which kind yeah. of leads nicely on to the, the second point about USPs and differentiation. It is so difficult now in, in such, in, you know, every market is super, super competitive. It's almost impossible to have a USP unless you have truly invented something totally new. It's very, very difficult to maintain that. One, it's, it's, it's very difficult to do. And secondly, it's very, very difficult to maintain it because the speed of change is so fast. So if we pin our colors to a particular mass and a particular belief that's authentic and ownable, it is ours and it is difficult for other people to, to emulate. And it's not to say that you pin your colors to a particular mass forever and a day because, you know, challengers, disruptors and, and, and purpose led brands are, are super relevant to what's happening in the world that they inhabit in that moment. And sometimes it extends for, for, for years. Um, but it's an evolving situation because the nature of businesses and competitive markets that we sit in evolves. We can't keep banging the same drum forever, but the, the drum that we do bang has got to be relevant to what we believe and, and what we believe our customers believe too. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you want to understand how marketing is changing, and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So I'm going to to coin the term on this podcast. You heard it here first. We're going to move from USPs to UHBs, uniquely held beliefs. That's what we're going for. That's what we're aiming for. (laughs) And um, it's a nice transition onto... So I understand in some of those companies that you referenced are fairly new companies, or at least they're more prominent now than they've ever been. But I'm really interested in companies that are perhaps in the position where... The company perhaps has been around a long time, they're well-established, but they're now moving into this new era where uniquely held beliefs are so important to marketing, but perhaps they don't have them. And you actually touched on it as you were talking. You were saying it's very easy to sniff out. It's very easy to see when brands are trying to tap into that an emotional side of what is the new age of marketing, but doing it in a way that's insincere. So my question is, 
how do you think businesses that are well-established that perhaps don't have these uniquely held beliefs yet can transition or pivot and do great marketing in this current era? So I think the, the powerful thing here is is that it's hard to be truly better than all of the alternatives to what your business offers because there are so many so many alternatives. But it is possible to be to be different. And I think the the way to do that is is that businesses launching into or trying to grow in competitive sectors can start by looking at their competitors or the most common alternatives for for what they offer. And if you, I mean, not all marketing will say this, but you know, put yourself in the in the shoes of your customer or your potential buyer and critique what the competitor brands say and what they stand for and. Is it really that different to what you think and what you say? Uh, and is it immediately different in, in the eyes of the consumer? You know, if what you say isn't that different, you know, how could you develop it so that it is? You know, another way of approaching it is to think about the conventions in the sector. What, what does almost everybody in your market say and do? There will always be those kind of repeat patterns and the, and the conventions with either the language or the images or the detail of the offer or the way that it's displayed to the customer on a shelf or on a, on a, on a web page. And I mean, it's, it's, it can be a bit of a sort of a, a daft but revealing exercise. But if we, if you list out those conventions and then highlight and then, and then note down, you know, what would it be like if we did the absolute opposite of that? And and in doing so, you can find some fertile territory. Uh, clearly, you find things that where it would be ludicrous for you to be the um, to take the opposite stance or, or behave in the opposite way to the rest of the market or or the competitors. But there, there's some fertile territory, and some uh, some points come out that often raise eyebrows. And you think well, we should we should dive a little bit deeper into that. You know, it, it's a challenging a- approach, and as I say, doubtless, doubtless there's some kind of absurdities that come out in there, but there'll be some interesting ideas in there too. And when you land on those ideas that, that feel distinctive and and fertile and resonate with you and and the business, that you know, that's the opportunity to dig in a bit deeper. And I think the the other point about about exploring this this kind of new way of, of thinking is is not to worry about pleasing everybody all the time. You know, we often find ourselves trying to pitch brands and messages and and campaigns to quite wide and diverse audiences because businesses don't want to miss out on a potential commercial opportunity. But I think by doing so, you can often find yourself in the mush in the middle. You you can't appeal to everybody all the time. And, And you have to think about who you're talking to to know what you're truly going to say to them. So, you know, and successful challengers don't worry too much about pleasing everybody by being committed the idea is that you you speak specifically to a particular customer group and you attract more of those people to you whether they're customers whether they're colleagues whether they're other stakeholders or or just whether they're fans of the brand it leads me to another interesting point which is something i think about when i think about this concept that you're talking about today and that i've kind of broadly been introduced in a conscious of in marketing right now and that's whether or not this level of thinking, whether whether or not these uniquely held beliefs and this commitment has to come from the top down. So does this vision have to come from a CEO, from an owner, from a managing director? 
in order for it to translate and kind of revolutionize a company. Is that how you see it working? The one that comes to mind that um, you've spoken about actually is Tony's Chocoloni, who, for, uh, from what I'm aware, the owner is very, she's at the forefront of their marketing. Yeah, I, I think you often find that, that challenges on those kinds of brands uh, in, in the early days are often led by ambitious and inspirational leaders, and they build and mold the business in their own image. Um, and certainly, you know, that kind of thinking is part of the foundation of that of that business. And in that case, it's almost certainly top down. But of course, as you mentioned, the, you know, businesses are at various stages of a, of a, of their commercial life cycle. And, you know, there's opportunities to pivot and, and change directions at, at different times. So. I mean, the straight answer is no. It doesn't always have to be have to be top down. But I think it's about applying the thinking in that way. And instead of it just being top down, consider voices from different parts of the business. You know, organisations always have their own particular voice, and that's made up of many components. And that should be part of what builds the nature of the brand. Otherwise, the danger is it's just people in marketing sitting around with you know people like me from agencies trying to set an agenda for others to follow, and you know, and that that might not be the best way. But when the direction of a travel is is agreed by those different voices in and around the business, it absolutely needs commitment and support from leadership, uh, as well as dedicated champions or owners in other areas of the business too. So it doesn't need to be top down. It often is because that's the nature of some of those businesses in their, in their early phases. And if you were going to sort of retrospectively apply some of this thinking through a pivot or a change in direction, it has to be equally as rich and authentic for it to be true and ownable. And that will come by considering the perspectives and the voices of people within the business. And as I say, it, in really embedding it in a business and making sure it has the support from the from the upper upper echelons and the and you know the senior leadership teams. Yeah, I mean it touches on a lot of other points that are socially relevant now in terms of diversity and inclusivity because, like you said, it can come top down, but it's also just listening to the voices around you and being conscious of what's happening around you and what your employees can bring to the table in terms of revolutionizing your brand and their uniquely held beliefs can make a brand itself and often does make a brand. So um, like you said, you, it's, it, it, can, it can take one person to have a vision, but then you need a consensus from your team to follow through with that vision and execute and really make a difference to whatever market you're in. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, you know, you have a ready-made fan base of, mm. um, of, of influencers and supporters that truly believe in the mission who are going to go out and um, articulate it, you know, honestly, truthfully and authentically on, on, on the business's behalf. So speaking practically for a moment, maybe you can bring this to life for me um, in terms of a fly on the wall at Ape Creative. Uh, how do you, you know, prospects come to you for design and marketing support. Can you talk me through the process of how you surface perhaps and how you highlight their uniquely held beliefs, their thinking, their challenger brand? How do you go about that process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, we focus on really starting um, a diagnostic process to understand and involve the key pillars of the brand and the business. And we do that by surfacing six key elements. The first one is about ambition. So we explore what the ambition for the brand or the business or this particular 
project is. And we tend to think about a three-year horizon because it's far enough away to be stretching, but it's close enough to be achievable. And it, it, it works as a, as a period. And there'll be an element, uh, an element of um, financial attainment in that ambition. But there's also, we, we try to make sure there's some more interesting elements to it in terms of the space that the brand would occupy, the impact that it's trying to have, and, and, and any other key um, uh, measurables for the, for the brand or for the business. The second point is about being clear on any big issues that might be hiding just around the corner to torpedo that ambition. And, you know, we tend to find that they will land in probably three different areas. You know, the, the issue is either a competitor issue where a competitor business or brand is about to launch with something that might impact our ability to achieve our ambition. It might be something to do with customers or often it's something to do with internal stakeholders and the commitment or resource or a capability internally to achieve the ambition. The third point, uh, it's a really important one, I think, and it's, and it's, it's one that can be difficult to, to achieve is to really understand who our customer is and, and not do that by demographics because I think that's, you know, that's very much old news. We need to understand what what motivates our customers and and profile them you know by the way that they behave and the things that they do and in doing so we can find a way to make our brand and our business relevant to them and try to make sure that the that the pillars that we build our brand on our you know our our, our belief is one that's shared the fourth point is about our point of view, our brand or our business's point of view on the world we inhabit. And really, why anyone will give a damn about our point of view? So this is when we start to get beyond product features and, and, and benefits. You say, look, what do we really care about? What is really important to us? And the last point is about our brand's attitude. So lots of businesses will have, you know, brand guidelines, tone of voice, language, and that kind of thing. And of course, that's important. But we try to go a little bit deeper and define our our stance or our attitude. And that that will come out by exploring the things that we love, the, the things that we hate, the things that we change if we could, the the the, the things in, in in our world that make us bristle. Um, the aspects that we might kind of rub up against to create a little bit of tension. And so by unpacking those, those six aspects, the ambition, the big issue, understanding our competitor, our customer, our competitor, our point of view and our attitude, we start to produce the sort of the underpinning of the brand and its positioning and the potential activation. Uh, and that forms, that naturally forms the basis of the creative briefs that we work on. But th- those six points will really build the platform for the for for the brand and it's equally applicable for you know a particular campaign or a particular project because it helps us get to quite a contained set of um principles and ideas that then we can use to activate whatever um needs to be brought to life and uh and, and, and brought to market yeah those six points are a really interesting framework to work from and on that 
topic of frameworks and further resources that might help our listeners learn more about challenger brand thinking or might just pose different questions or different resources to help them with this terminology and with this new form of marketing are there any that come to mind for you i know you mentioned a couple of books earlier yeah i I would say that um on purpose i think the prosperity by colin mayer is um that you know that's the that that's the one to read about that i mean it's it's really interesting because it it starts off by analyzing economic models and um, why the old ways of thinking are, are not really relevant for the future and it really supports that uh, explains and supports that idea that you know that businesses should should find profitable solutions to the problems of people and the planet not profit from those problems and you know that that really enshrines that that phrase and expands on that and then um eating the big fish by adam morgan you know that that's the the book that coined the phrase challenger brand thinking and there's been developments and updates to certain aspects of that um also by adam morgan uh, in a book called overthrow and overthrow two more recently which i think was last year and they they explore the different challenger brand narratives um the the, the traditional narrative and challenger thinking is that the sort of the david versus goliath story where the little guy takes on the big guy but actually there's much more there's many many more narratives than that and um overthrow and overthrow too um really worth looking at from that perspective Uh, that's been a really interesting episode and there's plenty of resources to go away and learn more there but before i let you go can you let our listeners know where they can connect with you and learn more about ape creative yeah absolutely um uh, apecreative.com is where you can find uh, more recent examples of, of 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 our work and our thinking and uh it quite simply my email address is paul at apecreative.com so um uh, it, and i'm sure you, you'll, you'll find me on, on on linkedin too but those are those are the quickest and easiest ways to, to get in touch if anyone wants to chat more about any of this stuff uh, i could i could talk about it happily um at, at length and when we're allowed to over a beer or coffee (laughs) brilliant okay thank you so much this has been the internet marketing if you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand You need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.